Revelation chapter 13 tonight. And Lord, I just thank you for anointing and speaking through me everything that needs to be said right now. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit is moving upon everyone that's going to be hearing this to help us. As the Holy Spirit moves upon us, that we will give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus. We're not going to be distracted by anything. But Lord, that we'll, we'll be good soil. The Holy Spirit move upon our hearts and minds, our lives, our families to be good, fertile soil for what you're wanting to do. And let your word go out as living seeds of truth sown into that good soil. Watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. That your Holy Spirit will breathe upon this. It will blow the seed of your word out among the nations. It's going to get everywhere it's supposed to. It's going to accomplish everything it needs to. And Lord, let there be a washing of the water of the word. Lord, I pray that there'll be a good, healthy conviction in all of our sermons in River of Life, that the Holy Spirit will convict our hearts in places that need to change, adjustments that need to be made. And Lord, I pray that the word will be like a washing of the water of the word, getting the bride ready to meet you in the air. And let the word of God go out as a bright, shining light of truth. That's always going to dispel the darkness of the enemy and expose things that need to be exposed, but it's going to bring revelation knowledge to your people. Like a hammer that breaks down the strongholds of pet doctrines and traditions of men and a sword that penetrates and gets where it needs to go. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. We submit this unto you and we resist the devil because Jesus said the parable of the seed and so the birds try to steal the seed. So, Lord, river of life, we agree together that in the name of Jesus, we bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word in any way from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. We command that to be bound right now in Jesus' name. Back off. And Lord, let your mighty angels be sent that will clear that out. And Lord, we stand on the promise your word will not return void, but go forward and accomplish what you sent it for it to do. So we thank you for it now, and we expect it. Let everything be accomplished in through this time that your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 13 tonight. And we've been going through the book of Revelation slowly because it is a complex book. And to make it even more complex, not everything is in chronological order as you're seeing. So it's good to go through it slowly, small enough portions that we can understand it. So tonight, Revelation chapter 13 and also parts of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They go together very well. And we're going to look at, as I've said before, but not on the recordings, you know, this is the part of Scripture, even if somebody doesn't know anything about the Bible, they've heard about the Antichrist, they've heard about the mark of the beast, things like that. Well, we're going to look at, in the Bible, where this is actually talked about, the rise of the Antichrist, the rise of the false prophet, things like the mark of the beast, the 666, all of that is in Revelation 13. So... Anyway, uh, 14 is also parenthetical. So when we left off at 11, we were looking, remember, at the trumpet judgments. And that's going to, we're going to start moving from that when we get to Revelation chapter 15. So, and six, uh, 17 and 18 deals with Babylon. That's going to be really interesting, the whore of Babylon. So just stay with me because we're going slowly through this. And so let's go ahead and open up with Revelation chapter 13. If you want to follow along in your Bible. All right, so it starts in verse 1. It says, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Now, I want you to remember here that the prophetic picture is like being on a beach 
looking at the Mediterranean Sea. Is that'll come up a little bit later in the sermon. Everybody catch that. Remember, it's a scene here where the dragon stood. He stood on like the beach of the Mediterranean, and he was looking out into that. And from the seashore, it says, Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Now, the beast is just simply a reference to an animal. And it's coming up. Where is it coming up out of? Out of the sea. So we see that in uh, prophetic revelation terms here when you deal with the sea you're looking at the mass of humanity billions of people the mass of humanity is this making sense tonight because this is important for this reason there's a big distinction between the antichrist and the false prophet the false prophet it says he comes up out of the earth like out of the abyss but this reference is out of humanity so without belaboring the point the Antichrist is going to be a physical man. He's not going to be like a computer or some kind of a system or technology or whatever people, some people try to say that he is. The Bible says that he will be a human being, a physical man, okay? So him coming up out of the sea means that he comes out of the mass of humanity as a human being, okay? But this particular beast... It's very interesting because this is the picture of Leviathan. Remember how Leviathan is a sea monster? And there's seven heads and ten horns on this particular beast. And on the horns are crowns. So you have this beast, this picture and type of Leviathan. And Leviathan is the spirit of pride. It's so important, guys, that we remain very humble before the Lord. Pride is what made Lucifer fall. It's what played into Adam and Eve's fall. Because the devil tricked Eve and said, you can be like God. You know, that was pride, pride of life. And so pride has to do with falling into sin, destruction. And all the evil that's been sown in humanity since Cain all the way till now, all of that evil is going to mature. Have you, have you guys ever put leaven in bread and, or in dough and you watched it? What does it do? It starts slowly rising, right? Well, that's a picture and type of pride. See, pride has been sown into mankind since the fall. And pride is going to be growing and growing and growing in the mass of humanity. And because of great pride, here's what people do. Instead of humbling themselves and realizing, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. That takes humility, doesn't it? When we realize we're a sinner, we need a Savior, and we humble ourselves to accept what Jesus did on the cross. It takes humility to see our need and to accept that sacrifice. But pride says, I'm fine like I am, and there's a resistance to the gospel. And because humanity has resisted, those that have resisted the gospel, and they haven't humbled themselves, they're going to open themselves up to great deception and they're going to come under the jurisdiction of the rulership of the Antichrist, okay? So this Leviathan comes up out of humanity. It's basically the spirit of pride that's going to envelop all of humanity at this time. And it has seven heads and ten horns. Remember we talked about the seven enemies, and I'll get to this later, and the ten land masses. The Antichrist will separate the world, okay? 
On the horns were ten crowns, which have to do with the physical rulers. So you have seven heads, but you have these ten horns. The ten horns are the principalities, the fallen angels that are ruling over those ten land masses. The crowns have to do with the human beings, the presidents, the kings, the prime ministers that rule under that principality. And they serve the Antichrist who serves the devil. And it says, on their heads were blasphemous names. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Now, remember, I went back and we looked at the book of Daniel to help you understand Revelation. So remember, what was the leopard? It was Greece. And it had to do with Alexander the Great and his swift ruling that he took nations. He conquered the earth of his time. It was very quick. That was the leopard. And so you see this sea monster, but it has also in it. Can you imagine how weird this thing looks to John? Okay, it's this Leviathan thing with seven heads, ten horns. It's got crowns, mind you. And then, and then it's like got leopard aspects. It's got, and then it says its feet were like a bear. Remember Medes and Persians, the bear. And then its mouth was that of the lion. You remember Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. So again, ancient enemies of Israel are represented here. And then it says, and the dragon. Now who's the dragon? Satan. He gave his, look at this. Satan gave his power his throne and great authority to this beast which is the antichrist now let me just say something here the bible never says that the antichrist is physically possessed with satan even though a lot of movies and things portray it that way but the bible doesn't say that not to say that satan won't enter him kind of walk in and out i don't know but what the bible does say is that the Antichrist will have Satan's throne, his dominion, his authority. So where did Satan get this authority? Well, whenever Adam was created, God made him perfect, and Adam was basically like the king, the ruler over the earth of that time. When he sinned, the Bible says you become a slave to the one that you serve. He basically gave the devil his authority. That's why Jesus referred to him as the prince of the powers of the air and, and why Paul referred to him as the little G, God of this world system temporarily, until Adam's lease runs out. So Satan is kind of like a little G God of, uh, that Adam gave his authority to. But here's what's going to happen. Satan gives all of his authority that he stole from Adam. He gives that to this Antichrist. So the Antichrist has all the authority, all the power, and the very throne of Satan himself. Satan gives it to him. And it says in verse 3, I saw one of his heads that had been fatally wounded. Now everybody notice fatally. And his fatal wound was healed. So apparently, the Antichrist is going to have some kind of a follow me in this like a mock of the death burial resurrection of christ not to say he's going to be buried i'm not saying that but it's kind of like a looking through like a broken mirror if you will at that it's some kind of a mimicking 
of that death, burial, resurrection of Christ. See, the Antichrist is a false messiah. He's a counterfeit messiah. So somehow he's going to have some kind of a wound that should have been fatal. And it right here it says, and one of his heads had been wounded. So it might be a blow to the head or maybe shot to the head. Something where he's going to have an injury that should have killed him. But it's almost like he was raised from the dead, if you will. And look at the result of that. And the whole earth was amazed and they followed after the beast and they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. So can you imagine for a moment that this, this is going to be during the tribulation time but that the world is becoming a group of people that worship the dragon. Can you imagine a world filled with devil worshipers? That's what we're looking at during the tribulation time. It says that they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the Antichrist, the beast. And they worship the beast. So they're also going to worship this Antichrist. And they, the world will say, who is like the beast, like the Antichrist? Who's like him? Who could wage war with him? It's like they're going to glorify him and they're going to magnify him and say there's none like him and they're going to worship the dragon and they're going to worship him. And mouth, a mouth was given to him, the Antichrist, to speak arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for how long? 42 months was given him. So remember, the last three and a half years of the tribulation, the Antichrist is really going to become the bloodthirsty, violent tyrant that the Bible says he's going to become. See, for the first little while, the Antichrist is going to look like somebody that is a man of peace. He's going to be a politician, wearing suits, probably very handsome, very brilliant. When people ask him questions... He's going to come across very intelligent. He's going to be well-spoken. And the world's going to love him. He's going to be the darling of the world. And he's going to look like a man of great peace. In fact, so much so, he's going to get the nations of the world to come together in globalization. Nations will lay down their arms and they will unify under him. It'll be like a one-world currency financially, a one-world military, and a one-world government under him. That's where Satan has given him his throne over the world, see. He's going to rule the world, and he's, it's going to look so good. It's especially going to look good to Israel because Israel has had so many enemies. They've been surrounded by terrorists, and I believe that they would have, we haven't seen it yet, but I believe that by this time, they would have gone through the Gog-Magog War, and it was, it was such a violent thing that Israel feels like that they don't have any friends, and here comes this false messiah who's going to basically say, listen, if you'll sign a peace covenant with me, I will secure you. And so the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with them for seven years, and it's going to look so good for Israel. They're able to either, if they haven't already rebuilt their temple by this time, they'll be able to rebuild it. They're going to start the temple worship again, the sacrificial system that you read about in the Old Testament. To them, it's going to seem like a wonderful thing, and he's going to seem like the Messiah because, look, he enabled the temple worship again. He, got, he brought peace to our nation. 
and it's going to look so good. He's such a man of peace. But after three and a half years, he's going to go into the temple and he's going to declare himself to be God and he's going to demand Israel to worship him as God Almighty. And he's going to build a huge statue that you'll, I'll read it more here in a moment where it explains some things, but he's going to demand them to worship that image and they're not going to do it. And then he's going to become, see, this is where his beast nature now will really come forth. He, he looked like this wonderful man of peace, like a very loving person. But in actual fact, his dragon nature will begin to really manifest. And he's going to become extremely bloodthirsty in the absolute slaughter of the Jewish people. And then um, beyond that, I believe that the Bible says, remember last week, Satan was thrown to the earth and they begin to target Christians after that as well. And I'm sure that that's part of what he's going to do. But look at this. This is what we're looking at right here. It says he was able to do this for 42 months. So the last three and a half years of the tribulation and he opened his mouth. Now, remember, he's going to be in the temple on some kind of a throne with this image He's going to be demanding people to worship him. And look at what he's doing from the temple. It says that he opened his mouth with great blasphemies against God. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in the heavens, in heaven. So he's going to be blaspheming. He's going to be mocking God. And then it says also in verse 7, it was also given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So you have to understand that the, the remnant bride of Christ, the church, the ecclesia, that kingdom, that authority, that governmental authority invested in the fivefold ministry, that before this has been taken, caught away in the rapture. And the focus is back on Israel and when it says here to make war against the saints, the first reference there, if you go back to Daniel, when Daniel talked about the saints, he was talking about the Jewish people. So it was given to him to make war against them, remember? And two-thirds of them are slaughtered. But then he's going to turn his wrath on any remaining Christians, I believe, as well. So it says all who live on the earth will worship him, the Antichrist. Everyone whose name has not been written since the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slaughtered. So anybody that was not truly the Lord's at this time, because there's going to be tribulation saints, okay? If they're not truly the Lord's, some kind of a seal, some kind of a protection under the blood, and they have the Holy Spirit in them, if they're not really truly the Lord's, it says the whole world will worship the Antichrist. And it says that, um, verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone, during this time, if anyone is destined to go into captivity, to captivity he will go. In other words, he will be put in prison. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints so this is going to be an extremely perilous time for christians and for and for jews as well very difficult time and then that's the antichrist in his system 
which is described later on in the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 18 as Babylon, which I'll explain when we get there, okay? And so now we're going to look at the second beast. This is the beast that comes out of the earth. So the Antichrist came out of the sea. That's humanity. But the beast here comes out of the earth. And again, the false prophet, he will be a physical man. But here's what I believe that this reference is. It says in verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and spoke as the dragon. So I believe the reference, in my opinion, is the way I see it, is that there's going to be something that is conjured up out of hell that's going to come up out of the abyss that's going to possess this false prophet. And he is going to be a very, very powerful person in the dark arts of the occult. And, but here's the thing. If you read this, it says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb. So who is the lamb? Jesus. So this person in every way is going to look like Jesus on the outside. But it says he spoke as a dragon. And I personally have believed this for I don't know how long. And also many, many other Bible scholars believe this as well. I'm certainly not alone. But I've always felt that whoever the current pope is at this time will probably be the false prophet. Not saying for sure, but I suspect that. The pope will have, he's a good example anyway, a religious leader, somebody that looks like Jesus. Did you know the Catholics believe that the pope is Jesus in the flesh on the earth and worship him as such? He looks like the lamb, but this false prophet will speak as the dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. So the false prophet will also be given great authority and power from Satan. And from this point on, you see that they always work together. And let me show you something in here. So... The dragon is Satan, but he's like, he's going to be like a counterfeit, if you will, to God the Father. And people are going to worship the dragon. The Antichrist is going to be some kind of a false Messiah. He's going to be like Satan's counterfeit to Jesus Christ. But the false prophet is going to be like Satan's counterfeit to the Holy Spirit. And it says that he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who live on it worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. So see, just like the, I'm talking about a counterfeit, but let me kind of explain a little bit more. So the Holy Spirit, he comes really powerfully into a place. But the Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't come to glorify himself. What does he do? He brings the glory to Jesus. He directs the focus back on Jesus, right? This is Satan's counterfeit. The false prophet will do great things, but he's always directing everybody's worship to the Antichrist. And it says, let me read it again. He makes the earth and those who live in it worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. 
And look at verse 13 because this comes up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He performs great signs so that even making fire come down out of the sky to the earth in the presence of people. Can you imagine him maybe holding up some kind of a rod or something and it's like lightning at his command strikes the earth in full view of people? I mean, this guy is going to be doing some signs and wonders. And because of the signs and wonders that Satan gave him power to do, it says in verse 14 that he deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those who live on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come back to life. And it was given to him to give breath. Look at this. So, you know, even in Catholicism today, there's a lot of shrines and idols and different things. And, and, and some of these supposedly, and I believe there is some truth to it, it's, it's demonic. But maybe some of these things will bleed or they'll have oil come out of them or they'll cry or different things. And, and people travel there to worship these images. That's, that is rampant in Catholicism. People will go by the millions to certain locations to a shrine where there's some kind of an image and they'll sit there and worship the thing. And so this goes along with that. But the Antichrist, the false prophet, is going to say, here's this man who's like God worship him as a matter of fact he had had a fatal wound and was raised back to life and so let's create some kind of an image unto him some kind of an idol in his honor that we're going to worship and look at verse 15 it says it was given to him the false prophet to give breath to the image to this idol he somehow he's going to give breath to it so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause all who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So somehow he's going to make this thing be able to speak. He's going to give breath to it. I mean, it's not. Let me just say this real quick and then I need to move on. But even in things like Buddhism, there was a, a particular missionary, if I remember right, that he was asking about this idol that the Buddhists were praying, praying to. It had a hole in the back. He said, what in the world is the hole for? And he said, well, for the spirit to enter it so we can communicate with it, you see. So that this isn't something that's way out there. I mean, obviously, you deal with this idolatry business. There are spirits that traffic in idolatry. So this false prophet is definitely going to be very powerful in witchcraft, very powerful. And summoning up some kind of a spirit to go into that image so that it can speak. But anyway, all who do not worship this image we're going to be killed so you can see here that the first three and a half years is going to be extremely difficult for christians because christians are not going to take the mark of the beast that are still here and they're certainly not going to worship any image you see what i'm saying if that is there at the first three and a half years, it's hard to say. The last three and a half, we know for sure that the image is in the temple. But the first three and a half years are going to be really difficult for Christians left behind. But the last three and a half years, the focus is going to be on the Jews and in Israel. And the Antichrist is going to slaughter them because they won't worship him and they won't worship this image. 
And it says he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slaves, to be given, given a mark on their right hand or their forehead. And he decrees that no one will be able to buy or to sell except those who have the mark. So let me read that again. And he causes all small and great, rich and poor, free and slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead. And he decrees that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark. So either the name of the beast or the number of his name, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number is that of man and his number is 666. So that's where we get the 666. So man was created on the sixth day. And so the number of sinful man is the number six. So that's where we get 666. And it's some kind of a mark on the right hand or the forehead that you will not be able to buy or sell unless you have this mark. So again, at the early part of the tribulation time, Christians that are left behind or maybe those that get saved they're going to know enough to know not to take this mark and so it's going to be extremely difficult because how are you going to be able to buy groceries or do anything if you don't have this mark but who is it behind this it's very interesting to me when I studied this that it is actually the false prophet who enforces the mark of the beast it's not the antichrist It's him, the false prophet. He forces everybody to take a mark or you won't be able to buy or sell. He directs all the worship to the Antichrist. He even has some kind of an idol built in his image. So there are around something like 30 different names given to the Antichrist and maybe in the future I'll put them in the notes I don't have them here tonight but there's several different names given to him like the Assyrian etc and really there's three main names that are one of them is the son of perdition another is the man of lawlessness and the third is the Antichrist which everybody knows the Antichrist but that's not his only reference like his only name there's several names in the Bible that reference him But Antichrist, anti doesn't, in Greek, doesn't just mean that he's against Christ. It does. But it means in the Greek, instead of Christ. So anti in Greek means instead of, like a replacement, like a counterfeit Christ. That's important. So when the Antichrist arises, see the world right now, because of pride, they don't want to humble themselves and get things right with God. They don't want to humble themselves and accept Jesus, accept the gospel. It's too simple. Uh, maybe it, it just is too much of an affront to their beliefs. They don't want to give up their sin, whatever the reasons. There's pride. And so they're going to resist that. But there's coming a time when the world will have a political figure that will begin to emerge. And from this right here, If you look on the second page, it says the sea. Remember, John saw the dragon on the seashore, 
and he saw this beast coming up out of the sea. And so he would have been referring to the Mediterranean. So most likely the Antichrist will come out of either, it's, he's going to come out of that old Roman Empire, but you have to understand, the western branch of the Roman Empire is Europe, but the eastern branch was the Middle East, like Turkey down. So he's going to come out of either Europe or out of the Middle East, but he's going to be a political figure. And so he's going to be kind of like the darling of the United Nations, the European Union. And some say, well, is he going to be Jewish in his ethnicity? Well, I say this. Jesus said that you did not receive me when I came in my name. But you will receive another when he comes in his name. And in the Greek there, you will receive another implies another Jew. So it seems to indicate that he will be. But keep in mind that in Judaism, you only have to have your mother be a Jew and you'll be considered a Jew even if your father isn't. So keep that in mind. But this individual, you know, maybe his mother is Jewish, maybe his father is Gentile, but he's going to rise to great power and many believe that his central location will be out of Europe and it probably will start there. But I wonder, I'm just going to give you something to think about. I wonder if, have you noticed that in our lifetime that back with Saddam Hussein and that whole Iraq war that that area was just decimated? Did you know about Iraq? Here's some interesting things. Iraq was originally where the Garden of Eden was. Later, Iraq became the location where the Tower of Babel was built. And so Iraq is a place of great rebellion against God. It would not surprise me at all because that later became Babylon, where Nebuchadnezzar reigned from, Iraq. As a matter of fact, there, was, there were artifacts and different things there. And Saddam Hussein, you know, he tried to connect with Nebuchadnezzar to the degree that he was pulling up all these ancient ruins and everything. And, and he was building... Uh, temples and all that to kind of have a Babylonian motif but he also had a coin whatever it would be called but it had his face on one side and Nebuchadnezzar on the other but see our military went in and wiped out Saddam Hussein and then with ISIS going in there these militant Muslims they, they chased out any trace of Christianity there at all so Iraq now it is not like what it used to be but this is ancient Babylon as far as the landmass goes. I, I'm just giving you something to think about. I'm not making any, anything emphatic here. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Antichrist does it end up having his headquarters out of what we call Iraq. He may name it something else, like New Babylon or something. Who knows? But the Bible in Revelation does put the emphasis on Babylon. And it makes me wonder if he's not going to maybe base his headquarters there. So the United Nations was located in one place, the European Union. But see, all of it may consolidate on his shoulders. And he may, you know, be out of Iraq area. But whenever you read this, I know this is a lot of information. And there's no other way to present it. I was talking to my wife about it. End time prophecy is just a complex issue. There's just no way to make it too simple. It's just complex. I'm doing my best to make it slow and 
but it, there's a lot of information. So let me give you a few more things, and then we're going to look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Do you remember that, uh, talking about the seven kingdoms? Well, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 17 in the future, but when this was written, who was in, what, what kingdom was in power during this time? It was Rome. Remember that? Nero. Nero was the one that had Paul killed later. Um, I can't remember who it was, but a particular uh, Roman emperor was the one that exiled John to the Isle of Patmos, and that's where he had the vision. So Rome was the, was the kingdom in power. So in Revelation 17, it does make a reference to these seven heads of the beast, and it says this, five have fallen. Now this was in John's day, okay, five have fallen. What five enemies of Israel preceded Rome? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. It says those five had fallen. And then it says one is, and this is speaking of the Roman Empire of John's day. And the other has not yet come. That was a reference to the Antichrist system that Babylonian system that has 10 land masses. So when he comes to power, he's going to divide the earth into 10 different land masses. Like for example, and I'm, I'm just making this up as I go to give you an idea. I have no idea how he's going to do it, but he may have the far East and his central power may be China, but all of the far East will be under the jurisdiction of that principality. And see, over that principality, over that region, you will have a literal fallen angel, a principality that's a horn there over China. And I'm, of course, I'm just speculating with this specifically being China. And then you're going to have some kind of an evil ruler that will be the crown. That, that ruler, that physical president, prime minister, whatever name is going to be given to him, he will be the one that communicates with the Antichrist. But he's going to have a total of 10 land masses over the earth. One of them will probably be Europe. Then he'll have one over the Americas. I don't know if he'll split North and Central and South America, or if it'll just be one land mass. But he's going to section off the earth. All right, so let's skip to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right, it says, now we ask you, but now Paul is writing to, this is some of Paul's earliest writings, and he's writing to the church of Thessalonica. It's a church he planted on his missionary journeys. A lot of people got saved. He put a pastor over them. They met in homes back then. He's writing them a letter, and he has it penned, and he sends it to him, and it says this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, okay, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by, this is interesting phrase, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already happened. Somebody was troubling this church saying that the Lord had already come and they missed it. But Paul said it was either some kind of a spirit of deception that was at work 
or he said some kind of a message, like maybe some kind of a false prophecy message. You see what I'm saying? Or there was a letter written that maybe forged Paul's name. That somebody wrote some kind of a fake letter and signed Paul's name to it. But anyway, Paul said, look, no one is to deceive you in any way. For it will not come, talking about the return of Christ, this will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And some translations translate that the falling away or the rebellion. But what that word apostasia means in the Greek is this. An apostate is somebody that used to walk with Jesus. They called themselves a Christian. They went to church. They followed him. They followed his teaching. But at some point in time, they turned their back completely on him and renounced him and went the other direction. That's an apostate. And so Paul says, this is an end time prophecy, guys. Please catch this. Paul says that the Lord Jesus Christ will not return until God has cleaned house. You know what's happening here? The wheat and the tares are going to be separated. And you know what? You're seeing it in your lifetime right now. God is moving in such a way that all of the tares among the wheat, all the false Christians, all of that, they are being, they're either falling completely away from the faith or they're being separated from the wheat into separate locations. But God is sifting. He's cleaning house. So first off, Paul said, before Jesus comes, there's going to be a great falling away from, from the faith. Everybody that's not the real deal, everybody that's not sold out, they're going to fall away. Number two, he says, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction or the son of perdition. Look at what he says here. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he even takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as God. The interesting thing is that Paul got this by divine revelation because this was before John wrote the book of Revelation and it was given to him. So it says here there's going to be a great falling away from the faith and it also says that before Jesus comes, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Now, Paul was writing this to Christians, and that makes me wonder, is the man of lawlessness going to be revealed even before the rapture happens? It's possible. So it is possible that we would see him and know who he is, but goofy Christians have been doing goofy things for so long that I don't think that people are going to listen anymore because everybody that they don't like, they say is the Antichrist. How many politicians have been the Antichrist? My Lord, there's got to be at least 30 of them. I mean, Bill Clinton for sure, right? You remember that? Bill, they even said he looked like Nero. There was people that made videos about it. I mean, it was so ridiculous. And then they also want to predict the exact day of the rapture when the Bible says you can't do that. So there's been so much goofiness out there that it's so discredited anything that when he actually does show up and then true Christians like, wait, that guy right there, there's something not right about him. He really could be the Antichrist. Everybody's just going to mock that.
So anyway, we could see the rise of the Antichrist before the rapture. And with that said, we, it's possible that we might even start seeing the mark of the beast before the rapture. But that's really going to be in full force during the tribulation time. But we're seeing it now. We're seeing things move that direction, aren't we? Technology, you're starting to see more and more government control. Uh, it's a sign of the times that we're very near the mark of the beast. And then let me just give you a few more things out of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. The rapture could happen at any time. My theory is it will probably be in the fall and some, somehow have to do with the fall feast. But again, we don't know the exact day nor exact hour of, that, of the rapture. But we have no idea. All the prophecy that had to happen before the rapture could take place has already happened. The rapture could happen any time. So we need to be living ready for the coming of the Lord in that way. And I'm of the belief from Matthew 25 and several other places that I just do not believe that everybody that calls themselves a Christian and everybody that goes to church and all that is going to be raptured because there's a lot of people that aren't right. I believe the rapture is for people, a bride that has made herself ready. I think it's for a group of people that are wise virgins with extra oil. I think when the rapture happens, it's going to be to people that are overcomers, that are living righteously, and they're looking for his appearing. I don't think it's just going to be a bunch of people sitting in a church pew that's going home and living in sin. I don't believe that. So the rapture will definitely be like a separation there between those that are truly the Lord's and right with him and ready and those that aren't. But once the rapture happens, I mean, the churches are going to be full of people coming to repent if you read Matthew 25 keep that in mind the wise were taken and the others were left behind and they're like knocking on heaven's door in prayer saying Lord don't forget about us but the door was shut so let's look at this second Thessalonians 2 6 he says here you know what restrains him now now this is an interesting scripture what is restraining things? Because you know as well as I do, those that know Bible prophecy enough know that something, it feels like the, the earth, it's, it's trying to move into this right now. Like you can, you can see it, you can feel it. There is a move for globalism. There's a move toward this cashless society and unification of, of, of currency. And, and even with the... See, 100 years ago, there wasn't a United Nations or a European Union. You're seeing things move a certain way. And it's like something is trying to force these, this end-time scenario. But here's the thing. God has something restraining it where it cannot happen until the right time. So it says, you know what restrains him now so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And I really want to talk about that, but I don't have time. We'll deal with mystery Babylon down the road, okay? Only he who now restrains will do so until he is removed. So there's a restrainer. And it says, then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will eliminate 
with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearing, appearance of his coming. So again, this is amazing that Paul saw all of this. The apostle Paul saw that there was something restraining him, but when this is removed, the Antichrist would come to power. And then it says when Jesus came in his second appearing, that he would destroy the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth but that's his glorious appearing. That's when he comes physically to the nation of Israel to reign. And that's, again, that's too much to get into right now. But Paul saw this. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, look at what it says here about the false prophet. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Again, the apostle Paul saw the Antichrist, but he saw the false prophet also and how the false prophet would operate in signs and wonders supernaturally by the power and activity of Satan. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not accept the love of the truth as to be saved. How many knows we better love the truth? Let me just say this, and I hope everybody hears me. We better love the truth. We better be for what God's for, and we better be against what God's against. And that's why, I, you know, for example, I don't know how these elections are going to play out, and I don't get political. But I'm just going to say this. I do not hate Biden or Harris, but I guarantee you that I'll hate their policies, and I'll tell you why. Because they will be for what God's against. And they will be against what God's for. We better stand with the Lord. And it's going to become increasingly difficult. And true biblical Christians are going to be increasingly marginalized and treated as such. That we're some kind of a cult, some kind of a weirdo. But I'm going to tell you, the world has already got this counterfeit fake Christianity that does not listen to what I'm saying this is so important if those if people are hearing this and you're in this type of group you better separate yourself from them and find some real Christians there's a counterfeit Christianity that has a lot of people in it that they do not require a new birth they're not born again and they do not require you to be born again they do not require repentance of sin if you could live in unrepentant sin and still go to heaven, there was no point in Jesus coming. Number three, they do not hold to the Bible as the absolute truth. And number four, they're very ecumenical. They're totally fine with, you know, they're worshiping their so-called God and then, and then the Buddhist, they're holding hands with the Buddhist who's worshiping their God. They're holding another hand with the Muslims worshiping their God. They're very ecumenical. And the next thing I would say is they have a view that all roads lead to God, ultimately. This is a counterfeit Christianity. You better separate yourself out from the fake and find the real, because there's still real Christians out there. But see, real Christians stand with the Lord. Real Christians are not comfortable with shedding innocent blood, whether it be in the womb or in any other way. Real Christians are not okay with sex outside of marriage and homosexuality and adultery and things like that. Real Christians have a problem with things like witchcraft and the occult, etc. And I could go on and on. But real Christians are not comfortable with sin. 
If you're in a group of people that's comfortable with these things, you're in the wrong group. All right, then 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, I read this already. He comes, the false prophet, with signs and wonders and with all deceptiveness of wickedness for those who perish. They did not accept the love of the truth that's to be saved. For this reason, listen to what I'm saying. They did not love the truth. They weren't willing to be persecuted for the truth. They didn't stand for the truth. And because of that, it says, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence listen if god sends delusion on a person they're going to be deluded you hear what i'm saying delusion would be like a deception like their minds they're being given over to something so that they will believe what's false so they didn't love the truth so now god sends a delusion and they accept that and they believe what's false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So Paul saw this. He prophesied to the church in Thessalonica. He also talks about the rapture, which is not in this particular text, but he saw all these things. He saw how there would be a rise of an antichrist and a false prophet. And he, and he saw the false prophet in, in operating in signs and wonders. So let me just close with this. I love this, and I, I heard somebody talking about some of these things. I want to share this. But to be spiritually ready for the days ahead. There is something to being ready in different ways. I, for example, I knew that in the fall... I knew that there was probably going to be different things coming up because of the elections, and of course there is. And once again, we have some crazy rush to the stores to buy up all the toilet paper, you know, <laughs> round two. And it may not be over. There may be a lot more to come in January, especially if President Trump ends up getting reelected. So there, I knew that there was going to be some troublesome times. I knew it back in the summer. And so I was, I was just gradually as I go to the store, just pick up a few extra things here and there because I, I saw this coming. I knew there was going to be problems, and I, I warned the church as well. So as we're um, entering into these times, you know, we're doing fine. We have what we need. So there is something to being prepared in the natural. But how many knows that there is, there is absolutely no way that you can truly be prepared for everything that's going to be happening in these last days. It's impossible. I mean, there was this preacher saying that he knew a guy that, you know, he got scared years ago and he bought a warehouse and he filled it full of non-perishable foods, etc. Well, he came back years later and everything pretty much had rotted and molded and all these different things, you know. So there's only so much preparation that we can do. I think it is smart to be prepared in the natural if you can. But the most important thing by far is going to be spiritual preparation. And so let me just give you some things. The Bible says in the latter days there's going to be perilous times. And this is before the rapture. We're going to see perilous times. We're going to see 
pre-rapture birth pangs that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. We're already seeing these things. We're seeing, you know, wars and rumors of wars. You're seeing the racial tensions. Jesus said there would be nation against nation. That's ethnic group against ethnic group. You're seeing that. You're, there's going to be fe- uh, famines and pestilences. You know what COVID-19 is? It's a pestilence. You're going to see all these things. There's going to be violence. There's going to be wickedness. So what can we do? The most important thing, you remember the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they, they, took, they celebrated the Passover lamb and they came under the blood. And let me tell you, number one, I would say the most important thing that we can do in these latter days is going to be that we bring our lives under the blood of Jesus and that we stay under the blood. Because the blood is what's going to bring great protection over our lives. And so when we come together in River of Life, you know, we're, every time we come together, we take communion But what we're doing is we're bringing our lives and our families under the blood. You can do that at home. But there's great power in coming under the blood. There's something about it, especially the head of a home, that if you will take communion on behalf of you and your family, remember Israel, the head of the home, had to put the blood on the doorpost. So there's something about bringing your life and your family under the blood that brings great protection. Number two would be a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. We're going to have to be a praying people. And it's interesting because Jesus talked about that. He said, watch and pray because you don't know the day nor the hour. In the Bible, a watchman, you remember back in these times, a watchman stayed up during the night. He couldn't fall asleep. He had to stay awake and be alert. And so the Bible uses a watchman as a prayer warrior. So it's like a synonym where he says, look, a watchman is somebody that is alert and in prayer. And so remember Jesus, when he came back to the disciples, he kept saying, could you not, you know, pray with me for an hour? What were they doing? Sleeping. Now see, it's symbolic here. Sleeping has to do with prayerlessness, but being a watchman has to do with being a prayer warrior. And Jesus kept saying that, watch and pray. You don't know. As the, as the day is getting darker and you see the coming of the Lord is near, we need to be a people of prayer. So I just strongly encourage people to learn how to pray. There's so many Christians. I remember years ago, a parishioner told me this, and, and she said, you know, Pastor, she said, I've been saved for years. And it wasn't until I came into your ministry that I really understood the importance of having a personal prayer life. She said, I'd been saved for years. I went to church. And I love the Lord, but I really didn't have a personal prayer life. And she said, I got here and you talked a lot about it. And I understood the importance of it. And you told us to read certain books. And I just encourage you, there's a book by Larry Lee called Could You Not Tarry One Hour? That'll help you. And there's another other books by Dr. Cho, C-H-O. Dr. Cho was a great prayer warrior. He, he still is. I believe he's still alive, but he's not in good health. And, and I think he's quite elderly. But Dr. Cho was a pioneer of many of the prayer movements today a lot of teaching about prayer came from his ministry but we need to be a people of prayer churches this never ceases to amaze me jesus said about churches you're to be a house of prayer for all nations he didn't say you're to be a house of programs there's nothing wrong with programs but he didn't say you're to be a house of evangelism yet we need to be evangelizing he didn't even say you're supposed to be a house of discipleship though discipleship's important but jesus put the the significance on us gathering together he said you need to be a place of prayer 
And it seems like most churches, they'll do anything but pray. And so in the days that we're living, we need to be a people of prayer. Our churches need to be churches of prayer. We need to individually have personal prayer lives and cultivate some fasting. I encourage people, you know, once a week to have a day that you do some fasting and some prayer. Number three, you need to be a part of a powerful church. Even if you have to drive a little ways, you need to find a powerful church. Because there's something about spiritual covering. If you go to a church where they're living right, and it's a, it's a place of prayer, it's a place of the power of the Holy Spirit where they pray for the sick, and they drive out demons, and they're a Book of Acts church where the gifts are in operation, you're in a good place. A place where they'll tell you the truth. The power of God is there. You need that spiritual covering. Your family needs that covering. And I've just been concerned. I say it's in love, but I've been so concerned because I've seen people, even people that I used to know were revival people, and they feel so comfortable getting out of revival, and they go to places where God's not really moving powerful at all. But, you know, they have different programs, different things that appeal to them. Well, let me tell you something. None of that, you better be careful about where you go. Because there are things that may look really good in the natural. It may be very fancy. It may be really expensive. There may be a lot to it in the natural. But spiritually speaking, it has absolutely no power to protect you and your family. And it, has, it is not a threat to the devil at all. You understand what I'm saying? And number three is to obey the Lord regarding your tithes and offerings. Wherever you go to church, be a tither, be a giver. Let me tell you why. Because in these latter days, there's going to be a lot of shaking that's going on. A lot of the world's economies are going to be shaking. Even this year, we've experienced that. There's been a lot of economic shaking because of this pandemic. And so what's going to sustain people is going to be that you're a people that are tithers and givers because you're connecting your finances to the Lord's economy. So even if the world goes down, God's going to somehow make a way for you. And you can stand on that. You can take that, if you will, to the bank, right? You can, you can stand on that, that God promises he will rebuke the devourer and he will open the heavens and pour out blessings. How many can say, Pastor, since I've been a tither, and I know my wife back there will be nodding real big, since I've been a tither and a giver, I can see God's hand now in my finances. I can see it. And my wife and I can attest to that. While end-time events are happening, things are shaking, nations are shaking, these end-time birth pangs are happening, I am going to bring my life and my family under the blood daily. I'm going to be close to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to be a part of a powerful church and a strong spiritual covering. And I'm going to connect my finances to the Lord's economy and trust him to take care of me. Because regardless of what's going on, we can be under some kind of a supernatural protection from the Lord under his blood, under the covering of his Holy Spirit's glory his power and we can be in a place to where no matter what's going on there's an element there of supernatural protection that will sustain us and we need to be ready for persecution 
I wouldn't do any justice if I didn't mention this. You know, some are called to suffer. And right now in America, we haven't had too much of that, although it is rising. Who would have thought that we would see in America that there would be goofy places like California, for example, that they're actually going to go after churches? They seem to be okay with the liquor stores being open. They seem to be okay with violent riots in the streets. You know, supposedly people were supposed to be quarantining, but people by the thousands were gathering as long as they were killing the innocent and, and looting and robbing and beating each other up and trying to blow up cop cars. It seemed like they were okay with that. But God forbid that peaceful, law-abiding citizens can come together and worship. Do you see what I'm saying? You're dealing with some kind of a demonic spirit there. And it doesn't take some kind of a rocket scientist to figure that out. So who would have thought even in America that you're dealing now with, with this antichrist spirit and there's a rise of persecution even in America that's been basically a Christian nation in the past. So Hebrews 11.35, the writer Hebrews, might have been Paul, we don't know, but anyway, he commends those. They were people of faith. But some were called to suffer. You remember how the Apostle Paul suffered? It says here that women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and flogging and further chains and imprisonment. You know, we all talk about the, the great things that happened through the ministries of like John Wesley and Whitfield, remember, in the first great awakening. And they, did you know, let me just say this, and I'm, I'm going to close with this. Did you know that Wesley, he's an Anglican, okay? That John Wesley was, he, basically what happened in his life was he had run into some Moravian missionaries that basically gave him the pure gospel. All he knew was like a works-based thing. If I'm good enough, if I work hard enough, if I, if I read enough of the Bible, and if I do this and I don't do this, and work, 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 and he was, that was his Christianity, which was not a true Christianity. And we met the Moravian missionaries. Their ship was going to go down, and they seemed to be fine. We're ready to meet the Lord. He was scared to death. And the Moravians gave him the pure gospel. It's, about, it's not by works. It's by faith in Christ that you're born again, and there's a... And the Bible, I mean, his writings rather talked about how he said that his heart was strangely warmed later on. That he basically, this was the first move of God in his life, that he understood the true gospel. And so Wesley thought everybody wanted this. He thought everybody, everybody would want the true gospel. That you can just put your faith in Christ, you're born again, and experience what he did because his heart was burning in him and he thought everybody would want this. And so he begins to go to the Anglican churches and preach this and they ran him off. They didn't want to hear it. And Wesley, even in his own father's church, who his father was not the pastor at this particular time, but in years past, his dad pastored there, they wouldn't even receive him. They didn't want the true gospel. I'm going somewhere with this because Wesley, people say, well, why did Wesley always preach out in the streets? Because the churches wouldn't accept him. 
And we always talk about the great harvest of souls that Wesley and Whitfield and these others saw, but you got to understand that it wasn't all about that. Wesley had to run for his life sometimes. Did you know that Wesley had to run and physically jump into a lake one time to escape a mob that was trying to kill him? Did you know that Wesley had people throw like dead cats at him while he's preaching? They threw rotten vegetables at him and, and fruits, etc. Sometimes he'd go places in ministry, they'd mock him. But yet, he stayed the course. He endured the suffering. He endured the persecution. And Wesley saw a great harvest of souls and God mightily used him. But I could go on and on about people like Finney, same type of thing. James McGreedy, you know, move. Why? Because they tried to burn down his church and it burned down at least the front area where his pulpit was. There was persecution. But look at what Hebrews says. Others were mocked, flogged, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned. Some were cut in two. So they were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. People of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts, on mountains, sheltering in caves, holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. But you saw the suffering that people went through. So in these latter days, I know that we're going to believe God for supernatural protection, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not going to be persecution. So when persecution comes, be ready. And let me tell you, some people say, well, pastor, you know, if I ever got in a situation where I was being treated like that, there was criminal charges filed against me for being a Christian, or maybe I was being tortured or in prison, whatever, I don't know how well I would handle that. But here's the thing. God will supernaturally give you strength. He'll come up, the Holy Spirit will fill you and come upon you and give you a grace that you, you had no idea that you could ever have. You know, I remember reading about, there was a group of people. Well, let me go back to John Huss. Somebody that came after, let me just focus on Huss for the sake of time, but he was burned alive at the stake. But he did not waver. I think about all of those that had suffered through. There's times that people said that the martyrs would sing while they were dying. So God gives grace, doesn't he? Supernatural grace to endure things. But anyway, I need to close out. Lord, I thank you for this time. I bless you. I thank you, Lord, for this word tonight. Give us grace in these latter days to be as bold as lions, to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Strengthen us in these end times, Lord, that we can stay close to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If y'all want prayer tonight, we're gonna go through and pray. If you could just turn on some worship back there.